Hello, 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 everyone. Hello, hello. Hello, it's good to be back. Logan, thank you for joining us. Um, this is episode number five of Scaling Bitcoin Sessions. So we're really excited to have you, Logan. Um, I actually didn't know, like this is the first, oh, let me pull up David up here. I just saw him here on the, on the stage. Um, I actually didn't know that I had um, come across your content before, Logan. Um, so I was really excited and I was doing, you know, my deep dive into research. Um, I actually got a chance to interview David uh, back in October as part of Cosmospaces. And um, I scoured the internet for any interview anyone had done with him. And I came across your video and actually really enjoyed it. Uh, you, you had him with you and, and you guys were, were talking. And so um, yesterday when I was doing some more research, I came across the video again and I was like, no way, I've already listened to Logan. That's awesome. So That's amazing. No, uh, we, Diego and I flew out to uh, Stanford to film specifically with David, talk about Bitcoin, talk about Babylon and the work that him and his team was doing. Uh, and it was amazing to meet David, uh, kind of work with him now. Uh, it's It's been a lot of fun. And so glad the podcast was a helpful resource for you. It was a, an incredible resource. So thank you for, for doing it. And I got to see that you do a lot of podcasts, actually. So um, I'm definitely going to be taking a deep dive into those. Like you, the, the way you do them is really good. And so I'm going to take a deep dive for sure. The bear markets can be tough on the podcast uh listens but i think the bigger thing is honestly just allowing the founders uh like david and the babylon team to really share their story and explain why they're building what they are and why it's important to the market and i think the podcast for me has really kind of been a journey of talking with top people builders investors in the space and so it has been a lot of fun and excited to kind of continuing to do it and hopefully be a helpful resource for the community. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a great resource. It's no better time to build. And that means even building up content, right? Um, Diego, I, I don't have much, uh, I don't know much about you. So I would love for you to introduce yourself and uh, let us know a little bit about what you do. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for putting on the space guys. I'm really excited to get into the topics today, but, um, Many people know me as uh, my Twitter handle, Solana Legend. I uh, used to work in investment banking for a number of years in M&A, uh, but I was fairly early to the Solana ecosystem and really got there when there wasn't much there in terms of infrastructure and tooling and um, was involved in early community building with various NFT projects, spent some time at FTX and now full-time uh, early stage investing via our fund frictionless. So we're incredibly excited to uh, partner with companies like Babylon um, and top founders like David. And I think uh, really excited to chat about, you know, all the market dynamics and teams like Babylon that are pushing the, the, the boundary on kind of what um, Bitcoin can be used for and, and kind of like what, what, what lies in the future. Yes, thank you. Thank you. And Logan, go ahead and tell us what you do uh, with Frictionless Capital. Yeah, so my background uh, ultimately started my career off in Silicon Valley, uh, quickly ended up at Tesla, where I was running the global supercharging network. 
it was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I think in college I swam and I learned how much I could push my body physically, but at Tesla I learned uh, you can push yourself much harder mentally. And uh, it was a wonderful experience. I think Tesla made great products. And so I was really excited to join the Tesla team and learn how they thought about products and about building. But I really got bit by uh, the blockchain bug. And in 2017, kind of got excited about what was going on in the space. Uh, At that point in time, thought I knew more than I did, but uh, kept with it throughout the bear market, which paid a lot of uh, fruits for the labor later on. And as uh, Legend mentioned, ultimately got involved um, in the blockchain space full time with Frictionless uh, and have since almost done 100 podcasts now, as we were talking about before, with top founders, builders, investors in the space, awfully deeply technical conversations about consensus algorithms, data propagation, execution environments, um, etc. And we're focus on early stage investing uh, through our fund. You know, it's funny because uh, this is our fifth episode and I'd I'd say four out of five, if not all five out of five have said they got the crypto bug in 2017. It was that first uh, bull market, I I think. (laughs) Because even for me, that's my story. Uh, I had a buddy who, you know, told me about Ethereum and and I, I had heard about Bitcoin before. But it was always like in a negative connotation. It was always, oh, like it's doing black market stuff. And so I was just like, I'm staying away from that. Um, And so it's just funny that um, it seems like we all finally like took it seriously in 2017. Do you do you all have like, do you all remember when you all first heard about Bitcoin? I was a little bit late to the game, if I'm being completely honest. Uh, my brother at the time w- was able to kind of get into the Bitcoin and Ethereum world uh, in early 2017 and kept kind of telling me to look into it, uh, how he was doing so well from his investment standpoint. And I kind of brushed him off. And um, I was still at university at the time. And... I eventually was like, all right, fine, I'll look into it just because uh, the number kept going up. And eventually, I, I kind of spent um, a week just deep diving it and was amazed by the technology and ultimately what it could do. And had since then just kind of became captivated. And I think the best thing that I honestly did was staying with it throughout the bear market. But I was a little bit of a late bloomer into the crypto industry. What about you, Alex? For me, it was the same. I mean, I, I was late. I'm not going to sit here and pretend I was early to Bitcoin at all. I mean, I was gaming, uh, playing MMOs. Uh, I think I did my first Bitcoin transaction in 2013 or 2015, but that was just a small amount for like some in-game currency. It was like a real real world trading transaction. Uh, but I think um, like kind of similar to Logan, I was captivated by the promise of it, right? And I think over the years, I what was mainly a speculative and kind of passive uh, holding type thing became more of an obsession once I peeled the onion on the worlds that are getting built in blockchain, right? Whether that's um, on the Ethereum or Solana side, but now with Bitcoin, I think the landscape is evolving extremely rapidly. If you look at uh, the ordinal space or 
you know, even BRC20s and, and how quickly the standard and the infrastructure is progressing. Yeah, yeah, 100%. That's, and that's something I wanted to ask you guys um, here in a little bit was like your thoughts on ordinals and like all these things that are, that are being built on top of uh, Bitcoin. So um, uh, I, I do like, you know, I, I told you guys I, I did some research on like what you've made and I, I'm actually going to share it here in a little bit. Um, I saw like two articles y'all wrote or who, who's the one that writes your blogs? Is it Alex or is it Logan? Or is it a co- collaboration between you two? So we actually collaborate. Um, I write them, but Logan and I brainstorm them heavily in terms of the topic and some of the research and metrics that uh, go into those was um, product of Logan sitting in a room for several years and <laughs> breaking these blockchains down from first principles. Yeah, so I just shared here on the Nest. Um, uh, the I think they were the second and third one you guys did because the first one was just like an announcement that you guys were doing blogs, but they're so well written. Um, they are like they're really easy to understand, even for someone like me who's non technical. So I I thought it was it was interesting, especially because like um, I think we definitely should have like you know like an open mind and not just think oh Bitcoin is the best thing ever or just think oh. Uh, proof of stake or altcoins are the best thing ever but just kind of like try to see what's the best about both and i feel like you guys you guys did this in like this article where y'all talked about um the limitations of of ethereum of layer ones and bitcoin and then you know what that meant uh when you compare it to like technology so um just i thought it was really good really well put and so just uh i'd like to hear a little bit your thoughts on that like um the does it feel like it's a hot topic now? Like saying that, you know, those layer ones are <laughs> can have those limitations or what do you guys think? I think in our point of view, and we really have a lot of respect for the OGs of the space. And obviously Bitcoin is the OG of OGs. And what we really wanted to highlight in the article Um, primarily the article is a little bit more centered around smart contracts than it is Bitcoin, but really focusing on how can you ultimately get web two kind of user adoption metrics in web three and kind of peeling back the layers of the onion to make that happen from a technical point of view. And what we've really tried to do is write in an unbiased way, kind of just laying out what is the current landscape, what are the limitations from a technology point of view, and how to ultimately increase, um, one, user adoption, but two, uh, the scalability to ultimately enable user adoption. And so I would say there are a little, I mean, I would say any topic in blockchain world about scaling (laughs) and how to do it, it, I would say is a little bit controversial, but we've really tried to do it in an unbiased way as possible, just really laying out the facts. And one thing that I really appreciate about Diego uh, that he always reminds me is that uh, facts can often be inconvenient, but that doesn't mean they're any less true. And so we have just tried to articulate the facts uh, from the technology point of view and how things work. But again, we're, we're very respective and we appreciate the homage that Bitcoin has ultimately enabled, really pioneering the whole industry by enabling self-sovereignty on, um, on the internet. Uh, I think 
we often can kind of forget how massive that unlock truly was for the entire industry and really paved the way for everything beyond it, uh, including smart contracts and some of the kind of more novel blockchain applications today. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, what do you guys think about Bitcoin um, kind of holding this, this, you know, uh, being like the metric, the, the go-to measure, measuring stick for all cryptocurrencies? Do you guys think that's right? Or do you guys think at some point it'll get overthrown? Or is it just going to be like uh, the set security that, that we all have in blockchain? I think uh, there's an aspect of blockchains that's certainly the tech, right? It's the consensus algorithm and the data propagation and the execution environment and, and storage. But beyond kind of those core building blocks, um, for example, for a proof of stake network, a lot of this is just a social consensus game, right? When Bitcoin first started, it was a novel technology, but without the core kind of founding fathers and evangelists that coalesce around the project, um, Bitcoin would probably not be where it is today, right? And I think that social consensus of having strong voices uh, and advocates is something that Bitcoin has stronger than any other chain. Bitcoin truly has the most fans. It's the most recognized. It's the most um, established, right? There's no question about it. And I think that mindshare and that kind of whole position in terms of being number one of mindshare is very, very hard to disrupt. It takes many, many years. I think um, Bitcoin will still be regarded as just a massive, massive uh, technology, even if one day it does get surpassed technically in market cap or whatever. I think the the historical provenance and the relevance of it will, will not go away. But I think to your point, um, there's quite a bit of bias, just you, even when you're trading, you're looking at pairs, you're looking at ETH BTC or, or whatever, putting everything in terms of BTC, I think is second only to the dollar. Yeah, I, I would say that's very true. Um, any any centralized exchange you go to, that's always what, you know, the measuring, that that's what they show you your balance on unless you have to go in and change yourself. So that's, that's definitely what we use to measure everything. Um, what do you guys think about like L2s or just other protocols trying to give Bitcoin more use case, like in the, like inscriptions, ordinals. Maybe I can speak slightly to some of the technical side of layer twos and then uh, pass it off to legend for more of kind of the ordinal and community side. I think layer twos are very interesting. Um, from a technical perspective, I almost think of them as data compression. So uh, in Bitcoin blocks, you have a certain amount of data. And what the layer twos are really trying to do is be able to effectively use that block space more efficiently. Uh, if, if you go back in time and kind of read Bitcoin history, there is uh, kind of the Bitcoin wars on uh, blockchain, how, how big actually should the block size be for Bitcoin? Should you make it Bitcoin cash and increase the block size? Should you keep them small? Should the nodes be um, low hardware? Should they be high hardware? And ultimately, the Bitcoin community has really slight, not really changed the block size. Um, and so you have to use that block size as uh, 
um, efficiently as possible, which ultimately layer twos is, is enabled by. It was funny, um, while my time at Tesla, I was very interested more so kind of in the smart contract side of things, but my colleague uh, who also worked on the supercharging team with me was very much interested in Bitcoin. And he ultimately departed Tesla and went to work at Cash App and ultimately is now kind of working on their lightning efforts there. And I think what's one interesting thing that Bitcoin has really been pioneering outside of um, the stuff going on with Taproot, with Ordinals, has been with uh, Cash App and the blocks kind of push to make lightning really accessible to everybody. And so I think that is an interesting uh, thing that they'll continue to pursue the, an effort that they're uh, putting a lot of resources behind to try to get Bitcoin in as many hands as possible and make it as easy and as cheap as possible to send around the world. Yeah, and just to build off of that, in terms of getting... Um coins into people's hands i think uh regardless of how people in the audience feel about nfts it's pretty clear that they are a vehicle of mass adoption it's one of the few crypto products kind of denominated in coins that people you know pull out their credit card and jump through the hoops of unramping just to buy one picture and i think the ordinal space has just come so far i mean from the first time i heard about it uh, my friend was doing some inscriptions, sub 10K. He was having to run his own node. And now today you have, uh, you know, wallets. There's a selection of wallets with a good UI that seamlessly abstract a away a lot of those complexities in terms of like PSBT signing. There's even websites where you can upload an image and choose what sats you'd like to inscribe an ordinal on and just you know, enter an address where you'd like it sent and it's just done. So I think really Bitcoin is well positioned in many ways with the Ordinals wave, but the quantum and kind of the nature of what the Ordinals culture will end up being on Bitcoin is to yet be seen, right? I think it's very, very early days, but there's a few areas and I think pillars that make Bitcoin Ordinals unique, namely around how um, scarce the block space is, meaning people have to be much more intentional about what they inscribe on Solana or Ethereum even, uh, you know, sometimes just, in, you know, minting massive amounts of NFTs is kind of just, you know, doesn't really involve a judgment. It's kind of just like, why not? Uh, but on Bitcoin, you have to be much more intentional about what you're inscribing. And also kind of what is a digital canvas in terms of the... Um, kind of dilution score in terms of the inscription number and also the sats themselves that these ordinals are inscribed on. I think there are two additional pillars of value and kind of when people are triangulating how to value these ordinals that are making this a very, very unique space in terms of provenance. Uh, like I said, not only of what's being inscribed, uh, but also, um, you know, at what point in the inscription ranking and also uh, on what sats. So I, I think it's very, very interesting. And it seems like Bitcoin is well poised to capture at least a pretty substantial portion of kind of the luxury collectible market uh, from the jump. But now things like recursion are coming, which are also enabling even on-chain games, simple games to be inscribed. So I think people are still in the experimentation phase squarely. Yeah, I, I think we haven't even begun to see what people are going to be able to do so um it's just gonna you know 
make everyone get more creative and, and, and try to see what, what things you can build with that limited amount of data that's able to be minted in every block. But um, it's really, really exciting, actually. And to, to speak to your point, you're right. Like, it's it's so easy to inscribe now. Like, we just had our NFT challenge um, that we, we did here at Babylon. And we're going to, um, we announced the winners yesterday. And we're going to mint those out on a platform here in Cosmos called Stargaze. But we're also looking to inscribe them. And it's, it's so, like, the process is really easy. Even I could do it. So like like you said, you can just go to a website, upload a picture, tell it what address to go to, and it's that simple. And all you have to do is pay um pay that gas fee, which a couple of months ago got really crazy. Do you guys did you guys um have to deal with that at all whenever there was a lot of congestion on the network? I did, but I think also the flip side of that is the miners have a new wind of profitability, yeah. right? And I think this has been a big moment of reckoning in the past years. It's just the rewards were having right and now um i have a friend who is actually a big miner out in texas and he's i can assure you more profitable than ever so uh for better or for worse i mean that's kind of a little bit worse for the users but it is great for the network right it helps secure uh the network and it does help compensate these miners for the valuable work they're doing yeah like because the more things that are being constructed on top of bitcoin it's giving more usage and so yeah like I feel like everyone wins except for that user that has to pay the fee at that time. But yeah, you, you get the miners getting more money. It's getting used more. So you're right. Like it, it's important because we definitely want them to be incentivized to keep mining and not just be like, this is costing too much money. It's not worth it. So it, it's, it is great to see them get something back in return. Absolutely. I think there's very interesting dynamics, even um, of people like, hunting for rare sats i mean i've heard of miners that of course like the first sat of every block is uncommon right and and now they're supplementing their income if you're the one who mines that block you can sell that sat to supplement your operating income for your business so it's like there's a new paradigm of profitability and i think for the first time um you know the block rewards are even smaller than in some cases like the fees and i think uh it's 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 pretty interesting dynamic it's it's definitely uncharted waters and i think just given how small the market is right now for ordinals this is definitely a trend that could accelerate in a major way 100 percent, 100 percent. um i wanted to guess so i'm i'm a little biased on this and so i always like to ask my guests um their opinion on this um my parents are from el salvador and um they came here to the united states about almost 40 years ago uh, because of a civil war we had in it. And ever since then, the country has been super corrupt. It doesn't matter if the left is in power or the right is in power. It's just been corrupt. They just take advantage of the people. But um, it seems like as you know, so far we've had this new president who doesn't claim to be either left or right, who I'm sure you guys have heard, you know, made Bitcoin into legal tender in the country. And we've seen a few other countries either heading that way or already, you know, done that. What do you guys think that means? Like, to me, it's kind of like a, it's a little not clear because Bitcoin was made so governments couldn't, you know, take advantage or, you know, like it gives us power as users. But does it help that a government, you know, completely accepts it in this way? Or do you think it hinders like the point of Bitcoin? I think maybe broadly what I appreciate 
that the country has done is kind of provide a clear regulatory framework for the existence and how they view it. And that can't really be said for the U.S. and how the U.S. is kind of viewing it. And so I think anything, it's not necessarily that the government in um, El Salvador really controls Bitcoin by any means. It's kind of just embracing it with an open arm and then ultimately saying like, look, this is the guidelines that we view it. Um, and I think by saying like, these are the guidelines, here's the sandbox, here are your, here's how you're allowed to play within it. It allows entrepreneurs to really build and continue to flourish. And I think we saw the same thing in the early and late 90s where maybe perhaps at one point in time, the government was going to take a more heavy-handed approach to the internet, but they kind of backtracked. And once they backtracked and laid out a clear framework for how to build on the internet, kind of the proper do's and don'ts, the United States, I mean, really became a hub for innovation. And a lot of the top technology companies now are based uh, in the United States because of it. Not to say that, um, I, I think more broadly, one thing that I really appreciate about blockchain technology, including Bitcoin, is that it is global by nature. And what I appreciate specifically about El Salvador is that they've provided kind of this framework to allow entrepreneurs and builders to build on top of Bitcoin uh, in the country and how to kind of utilize the technology where other countries have not really provided the same assurances. Um, and because, again, it is global, people can kind of vote with their feet. And it's been really cool to kind of see what's been going on and kind of follow from a distance uh, what El Salvador has ultimately been doing. Yeah, I, I kind of joke with my wife, like, if I ever cash out or anything, I'm going to go do it in El Salvador since I know what to expect over there. So, <laughs> so if you see me taking a plane over there, you know what I'm doing. Absolutely. I think the other point of that is just the um, fact that Bitcoin is just truly public financial infrastructure. I mean, whether you're in El Salvador or anywhere else, if there's corruption or there's an authoritarian regime or, you know, a time of conflict or whatever, I think it's just rock solid public and financial infrastructure that anybody can use. And I think that's really the promise of Bitcoin in the pure sense. And it's pretty amazing to see countries with perhaps a little bit less developed financial infrastructure that are utilizing this uh, at the scale that they are, right? For payments, for merchants, for uh, transactions, for all kinds of things, payments at, like remittances and international transfers. So I think this is really what Bitcoin was designed for. And it's awesome to see um, people getting involved. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I know you guys have, you know, you had the call earlier with, um, with the team and, I'm I'm just wondering um, how closely you followed what what Babylon does. Did you guys get ever get a chance to talk about BTC staking? Uh, David gave us a little bit sneak peek, but I, I think uh, one thing that would be great is we have such a large audience. If we could just kind of sneak include them if they're uh, if the Babylon team is open to it. Okay, that 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 might be a good idea here. Um, so. Babylon has has worked on providing value to Bitcoin. Um, the initial thing that we've done is timestamping, where we get protocols to give us their data on the blockchain, and then we timestamp to Bitcoin in order to 
you know, make that be the end all be all. Like you can't change what's been time stamped onto Bitcoin. Um, but we've also found a way to do something um, that's not typical, which is to be able to stake your BTC natively on chain instead of using a bridge or a third party to do so, you know, using like uh, a centralized exchange or anything like that. Like you have control of your Bitcoin and never leaves your wallet. You just you're just locking it in. And you're able to get rewards in whatever other protocol it is using Bitcoin as a, as a security. So that's like the overall, like just top level view of that. Um, I'm just wondering what, what you guys' thoughts were when you heard it from David. I'm sure what David makes it sound, you know, super interesting. So it's really hard to, <laughs> to think, oh, this isn't going to work or anything like that when he's telling you about it. But uh, just think, just wondering if you guys think of other potential use cases for, for what we're doing. <clears throat> Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, first of all, Babylon is leading the charge in terms of companies that we're aware of that are helping to turn Bitcoin, um, you know, into a next generation asset. Right. And I think part of that is making it a higher velocity, uh, more um, versatile coin. Right. I think historically, for better, or for worse, you could basically uh, stack sats and uh, maybe throw some laser eyes on your PFE or uh, maybe, you know, tweet to tell other people to buy some sats as well. But now there's a completely different landscape. You can do all these different things. And I think BTC staking is just another example of that. Like, this is now a new paradigm of yield strategies and, you know, everything for users that want to uh, make use of their Bitcoin natively, like you said, without it leaving your wallet. This is a pretty elegant solution. So I think just taking a step back, I think more broadly, there's a huge, huge potential. There's others that are working on wrapped assets. Um, but I think whenever possible, um, avoiding bridges is, is just a good thing. They're very, uh, you know, historically very large surface area for attacks and exploits. So I think, you know, the one thing is kind of like pursuing yields and returns. That's fine. Uh, but another thing is, you know, compromising on the security. So I think, one thing can't go without the other. Um, definitely need to like do this in a careful and prudent way. But I think David um, and team are certainly like taking the right approach to kind of building this stuff and uh, and doing it in a careful manner. I, I think uh, it was, and I've read three of your articles and I, I can't remember which one it was, but you guys talked about the dangers of bridges and how I believe it was in 2022, over 2 billion assets were compromised using bridges. That number just blew my mind and it's true like there's been so many you know hacks or just um just uh these developers that have been dishonest or you know it's just it's kind of crazy so to put your trust into someone like that you don't even know it, it is really challenging i do think i mean the bridge technology as a whole it is still i would say immature and i don't want to shit on bridges too much uh I would still say they're developing, but as Diego mentioned as well, like if you can do it natively, like it makes it much more sense to do it natively. And I, I think what ultimately Babylon and the staking that they're ultimately enabling is allowing people to kind of tap into some of the properties that these proof of stake blockchains have by earning yields. Um, it would be very interesting. And I think if there's anybody that can ultimately kind of harness the power of Bitcoin and be able to 
kind of appropriately build on the technology. I think it's David and the Babylon team. Um, I mean, David is a tenured professor at Stanford. Um, many of his colleagues are also from Stanford working on Babylon. And so I think the team is very well suited to ex execute on this and really make something that's differentiated within the Bitcoin world. Yeah, and that's that's what um, really sold me on Babylon because um, last year at Cosmoverse, as just you know a fellow cosmonaut, um, seeing David up there talk about how he helped out or how he pointed out to Ethereum that their proof of, of stake um, infrastructure was had some some errors in it, I was like, wow, like like that already. I was like, who is this guy? You know. <laughs> Um, and so just seeing the team, um, definitely like his, his past history. Thanks Logan again for that podcast. Cause I got to see, you know, where he came from, um, really, really did make me feel like this was some, a project that could go somewhere that at, at least they had the capability and knowledge to, to definitely build something that could change the, the landscape as we know it. So, uh, thank you for, for, for saying those kind of things about Babylon and their team. Um, definitely, um, we got some giga brains, you know, up on top for sure. No, it's a exciting future ahead. I, I think, unfortunately, the crypto markets are very cyclical, but ultimately, there's a lot of amazing things that get built in the bear markets, and I think Babylon is just one of those that will ultimately come out and uh, continue to build interesting things on top of kind of the the longest performing uh, oldest blockchain. And so there's a lot of advantages to that. And so I'm very interested to see uh, where the team ultimately takes it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I want to thank you guys so much for, you know, bearing with me talking about Bitcoin, talking about Babylon. And you guys have patiently been waiting to let us know more about Frictionless. How about we talk a little bit about Frictionless? What do you guys think? <laughs> Always, uh, as I mentioned, respect to the OGs and the people that uh, built the entire industry. So uh, <laughs> all good. I, I think on, on Frictionless, again, like our core focus has really just been kind of user adoption on smart contract platforms. And I think... Um, since my time at Tesla, I spent a great amount of deal just looking at products and analytics and really the things that make products excellent. And I think one of the reasons why I really got involved into the industry was the promise of kind of smart contracts at scale, being able to kind of have a bank account in your pocket and these countries that didn't necessarily have access to the same kind of financial primitives that we did in the first world countries. And this is kind of vision was something that I was pretty bought into throughout the bear market. But one thing that I think myself and probably quite a few people in this audience also experienced was once the bull market happened again on the smart contract platform side, it became almost prohibitively expensive to really do anything on chain whether that was kind of a Uniswap, a transfer, uh, trying to do DeFi yields, etc., became very costly. And I personally paid occasionally like $1,000 or more to be able to transact on-chain. And 
I was trying to promise the future of France for uh, third world countries, and instead I got $1,000 transaction fees. (laughs) And it just made me sad, to be honest. Um, And so kind of taking the Tesla approach of first principles and really applying that to the blockchain world was saying, all right, how do we go back to the drawing board and say, what are the core fundamental building blocks that blockchains actually need to hit scale. Um, If you're going from, say, a couple hundred thousand users to 10 million to ultimately 100 million and a billion, those are much different levels of scale. But what are the core components that you actually need to do so? And I think really the combination of what Frictionless ultimately is and our goal for the fund and what we'd like to do in the investor space is really just grow the blockchain landscape more holistically. We've kind of identified a couple core primitives to make that happen. So we are very focused on the infrastructure side, but outside of the infrastructure, what we really want to get to is a place where application engineers no longer really have to be infrastructure engineers. And unfortunately, I don't think we've gotten to that point. There's a couple, I'd say, blockchains that are just now starting to emerge that I think have better properties to allow that. But we are very focused on what we call kind of high throughput blockchains. So the Solanas, Suiz, Aptos, uh, says of the world, uh, just because we think they have the properties that ultimately will be needed to reach scale. Kind of a long-winded answer, but uh, at the end of the day, we just want users and we want people to use blockchains. No, no, thank you. Um, that definitely does help understand a little bit more. So, um frictionless how are you um how are users able to interact with frictionless like what would i need to go to to be able to do anything with you or or is it just you know purely like investing uh I'm, i mean I, you're interacting with us right now right so <laughs> i know but I, I think at a high level part of it is is investing but the other piece is like our articles and research and thought leadership that we put out, right? We're open sourcing everything, really. I mean, we're not trying to, like, keep this stuff in the back pocket and never share it with anyone. We feel very, very strongly about, you know, the market and our opinions. And I think we've done a lot of work to be where we are today. Um, But part of that is just um, preaching an alternative view of the market, right? And I think... um, in the bear markets, uh, it's, you know, sometimes hard to stay engaged, but it's even harder to be contrarian and kind of go against the grain. But I think uh, there's big value in just looking at the tech uh, for what it is and looking at the metrics and where the communities are and where people spend their time and kind of where um, different ecosystems stack up against each other objectively. And then, um, kind of doing that apples to apples comparison there's a ton of themes and narratives in the space some of which are kind of valid and others are just kind of just fabricated and i think for anyone listening the most valuable skill is honestly at this stage of the market to stay plugged in and and to stay engaged but also uh to truly just question everything you read you know if it's not a hard metric or a hard number or a hard fact is this person um you know shilling their bags are they you know, preaching a vision that's not consistent with, you know, what what's already publicly available and what the metrics show. And I think it's that intellectual curiosity uh, and that 
kind of questioning everything on uh, the critical eye that we take to blockchains that we'd like to be known for. And that's ultimately what we'd like to share on social media as well. Okay, so that kind of answered one of the questions I had, which was like, when you're investing, what are some key things like people in the community can do whenever they're doing their own research? So I think you, you know, kind of hit hit on that. Is there anything else that, that you would suggest they can do when they're doing that? We definitely will definitely... be writing more. Uh, so definitely keep an eye out for some of the future articles. But I, I would also say just on the podcast front, I mean, I feel like today I pretty much interviewed most of the top technical people in the space or kind of investors that you would also be familiar with. And so if you're interested in any particular topic, um, I most likely have done a kind of more deep technical podcast with the founders. Um, or if they're, if I haven't done a podcast, let me know. I mean, I'm always open to recommendations for people who you would like to uh, see on the podcast. Uh, I think I'm always trying to learn, but the, the podcast is really a wealth of information that I think people should tap into as well. I'm going to try to find a, a tweet you guys made about the podcast and share it up here so people can can find it easy and, and definitely, you know, hop on and join. Do you, I think you were going to say something as well, but you guys yeah, both I, at the same time. I, I was about, yeah, I was about to say that I think, uh, especially if you're looking at like early stage projects, um, the founders are just so important, right? right? Like you're, you're betting on, the product and their vision but i think more than anything you're betting on them as people right and i think understanding the founder's background uh, what their motivations are what are some of the projects they've been involved with in the past and to get a sense of like are they a long-term you know value contributor and kind of here to stay or is it someone that has more of like a short-termist and opportunistic um outlook right and i think part of that is just their technical acumen how like sharp are they but also you know the market is always changing in crypto if you told me a year ago there would be nfts on bitcoin and there'd be 10 million dollars a week in sales or a day i'd say there's no way right but that's the reality we have today and i think this space changes from one week to the next and it's incredibly important to find founders that can not only be kind of on point at a specific point in time and kind of set the ship on the right course, but also keep it on the course and have that kind of, instead of product market fit, founder market fit, where they can kind of like sail the choppy waters and, and kind of navigate those seas. Because if we've seen anything from the last year and a half, guys, it's that this industry is still, you know, gr it's still early, it's still growing, and there's just massive turbulence uh, both on the regulatory front and just from the volatility of these assets. Yeah, that that's so true. Um, we we had all those you know centralized exchanges go down. We saw leaders of projects get in trouble. So yeah, it's always changing. And to speak to how quickly you know things change, like if you would take a screenshot of like the top one hundred cryptos from twenty seventeen to twenty twenty three you see a lot of missing projects, you know? So um, it, it is constantly changing. It's constantly growing. It's constantly getting better, uh, I believe. So um, that's definitely something that, you know, you have to think about when you are doing your own research is what different things you can look at to just make sure you're making the best, the best option for yourself. 100%. And I, th I feel like 
I mean, Twitter is also a great place for that. I think uh, everybody, one of the beautiful things about the community is really that they've kind of congregated in the Twitter world. Uh, I think Reddit is a great place to kind of learn, like be a little bit more like on the community side. But if you really want to go deep, like Twitter is a beautiful place to hang out, ask experts on kind of their thoughts and really... I mean, even in a form like this, like challenge, like their ideas and beliefs and really have kind of an open discussion. And so it's been a interesting journey, but I'm glad that the industry as a whole is relatively open. Uh, people, especially Twitter, can be kind of a war zone. People are open to having their opinions <laughs> checked uh, and everybody's kind of in here for a debate and trying to learn. Yeah, I think as long as we keep an open mind and when we're having those debates and not just be close-minded, um, it can ultimately lead, you know, to some really cool things. But if you just, if you think you're 100% right and and that's it, you know, that's the end-all be-all, then I think you're going to suffer a lot. So just, I think having good conversations um, definitely is what would allow the space to grow. Um, but yeah, 100% join Twitter spaces, try to find, you know, developers, leaders that, that, that are willing to be a part of them and... Um, and just kind of help you grow along the way. Um, since you talked about your journey, I wanted to ask you guys, how did y'all come about the idea of Frictionless? Like, um, it, you two are the only co-founders, right? Yeah, that's correct. So actually, we met at a cryptocurrency conference uh, in 2021. And I uh, grabbed a beer at Logan, and I was blown away by his like technical background, right, from Tesla. We ended up having a bunch of beers and just talking about scaling layer ones on the first shard. And he just like painted this picture, which at the time I'd say was like very forward thinking. And now I'd say it's a little more like um, established in the market. But I was just blown away by his background, how much research he had done. And I had been uh, kind of neck deep on the community side in the ecosystem, right? Networking and involved with various uh, projects and, and just growing my network super aggressively. So I felt like with his tech side and my community and ecosystem presence, we could really um, play both sides of the game, right? We could have the connections to founders. We could help them very actively, uh, but then also have that kind of bird's eye view of seeing the entire chessboard and where these technologies are headed and, and kind of how the infrastructure is progressing. Thanks to Logan. So after meeting each other, how, how quickly did you guys know that you guys wanted to work together? Almost immediately, love at first sight? <laughs> I mean, it was late 2021. So the problem is that it was like Pico bull market, like Pico top vibes. So that's true. <laughs> it was a very exciting time to like, I guess, be at a cryptocurrency conference, <laughs> but not necessarily the best time to like start a fund in terms of yeah. like, you know, probably pretty easy to raise, but then, you know, that anything you deployed in those months afterwards would have just been like down only. And whether that's like a coin or token or, you know, around a in, in a company. So I think like for better, or for worse, we kind of like sat on our hands for, for, for quite some time for about a year. And, uh, and yeah, I think we did a bunch of research and brainstormed and, and learned a lot about how to set up the fund structure and set it up everything right. But coming out of that, I think we had even more conviction in 
our thesis based on what we were seeing on the metric side and, and how these technologies were progressing. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Um, Logan, you're the one that has a connection to David previously, right? Yeah, I just reached out to David uh, once I saw kind of what he was building on the Babel Mon side. And I was like, I really want to chat with you, learn more about Babylon and what you're building. Uh, and so that's when uh, Legend and I ultimately flew to uh, Stanford and met with him and the team. And I think that was kind of the same week as the Stanford Blockchain Week or um, maybe a couple weeks after. So we came back and uh, have really established a great rapport ever since. Awesome. Yeah, because I, I saw like when I saw him on your, on your website, I was like, what? He's also an advisor. That's awesome. I did, I had no idea that he was. So that, that's so cool that you guys reached out to him to pick his brain and, you know, and help you guys along the way. 100%. And I, I think again, like if I were maybe to like go back and like speak to the community, like for the people that are in the audience, like crypto is still fairly small. Like if there's someone that you admire, someone that you respect, like reach out to them. If you want to get involved with a team or a project or a community, uh, reach out to members of that team. Uh, I think it's a beautiful place to be because we're all really trying to figure out where the industry is going and people are very open-minded and willing to help. So if you're interested in joining the team, learning more, uh, just reach out to those individuals. They're more likely than not to probably respond and uh, you can continue to kind of um, further your career or aspirations within the industry. Logan, I'm definitely a testament to that. Um, and my real, my in real life job is a school teacher. I teach fifth grade. Um, last year with a couple of guys, we started something called Cosmo Spaces and we got to interview a lot of different protocols and so uh, because of Cosmo Spaces, I was able to go to Cosmoverse. That's where I saw David, like I told you. And some of my friends from Cosmo Spaces were getting jobs in Web3. And I was like, man, I definitely am like putting all these things I've, wor I've worked on to waste by not, you know, trying to provide some value to another Web3 company. And so I did exactly what you said. I, I knew Shalini. Uh, Shalini's in the audience. Thank you, Shalini, again for the opportunity. I was like, hey, um, I really, really like Babylon. I, I liked hearing what David had to say about it. So if you, there's ever a position that you think I'd be good for, you know, um, let me know. And then she immediately reached out to me and, you know, the rest is history. But like you said, if if you find that good leader, that good team that you, you think that, you know, they can build something great, then just reach out to them and you never know what can happen. Truly. Uh, yeah. The space is uh, really a green pasture. I can definitely just add to that and say the cold DM is extremely uh, high, like potential, like outcome. And it literally, if it fails, it costs you nothing. It costs you 15 seconds to tap out the message. And it can literally change your life. One message can change your life. That's powerful, Diego. That's powerful. Um, so... Besides, you know, trying to build um, a company whenever there there was a, you know, there was a little bit of hype during you know twenty twenty one feels good, and then you know we have what twenty twenty two has been. What what have been your biggest challenges? I think definitely uh, just you know being first time managers, it's 
it's a daunting space, right? Especially in the bear market when uh, activity slows down. I mean, a lot of people all around us were saying, <laughs> you know, it's a bad time to start a fund. But I think we've continued to add really valuable backers, um, most recently, like some very high profile investors in the space and very established Silicon Valley um, VCs. And I think that's just testament to like building in the bear, right? There's a lot of people that would say it's a waste of time to look at crypto right now, just wait till prices go back up. But you're really um, missing the most crucial time in crypto, which is the bear market. I mean, to give an analogy, it's kind of like not planting anything in the winter, um, putting no seeds in the ground and then expecting to have harvest, uh, some kind of harvest in, in the spring or the summer, right? It just doesn't work that way. If you're not, um, you know, plowing the fields and you're not um, tending to your crop when you need to, you're, you're not going to have anything to to look forward to. And I think that's kind of the North Star um, beyond just like our thesis and everything. It's just keeping your head down in the bear. And uh, we've seen it time and time again of people in our network that have just put their head down and have just emerged in a completely different situation because of it. That's so like beautifully said. Um, definitely, you know, got to put in the work um, even during the, the hard times and in order to reap the rewards. Um, I, I've really enjoyed our space. Um, I, I don't know if there's anything else you guys would like to talk about maybe that we haven't hit on. I feel like we, we've hit on a lot of good points. No, uh, really appreciate you having us on and kind of hosting the discussion. And again, super excited for what David and the Babylon team are ultimately building. I think, as I mentioned earlier, if there's anybody to kind of execute on the vision, I think it's David and his team. And so uh, really excited for, uh, one, our partnership, but two, just continuing to support what Babylon and David are ultimately building. Uh, lots of exciting things ahead. Yes, of course, of course. And for people in the audience, please make sure to give Diego and Logan a follow. Um, you can tell they're, they're giga brains as well, even though that they might not admit it they're definitely i think someone that are worthy follows like the content that they've put out is amazing you guys like it really is um it is so non-biased and is so easy to understand that uh i think you would you know gain a lot from it so definitely give them a follow and follow along what frictionless is doing well thank you eric it really means a lot and great uh spaces you're you're an amazing host and just really easy conversation so keep keep up the good work i know this is episode five but we're looking forward to episode 100. <laughs> yeah, maybe you'll you'll be the 100th one. We'll, we'll have a celebration. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. Uh, this is a lot of fun. Thank you, Logan. Thanks. Bye. Bye, everyone.